Wednesday, August 6th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today, you know who it is. It's Uncle Joe week. G'day. Joe, from Inside Value, Motley Fool, Australia stock advisor, and probably 17 other things I'm, I'm not, not even aware of. All sorts of things. <laughs> I do dishwashing services. What, 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 just run through real quick. What are the services you work on? Obviously, you're still on Motley Fool Inside Value. I think that's how most listeners, that's the service most listeners associate you with. But you yeah. do work on. I lead Motley Fool Pro Australia down under. I've done substantial contributions to Hidden Gems Australia. And I used to work on Income Investor, Special Ops, and I've contributed to most services in some capacities. You're a busy man. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk media today, and we'll get to <laughs> the media mergers that never actually happened in a moment. But let's start with the Walt Disney Company. Holy cow! Uh, profits up twenty two percent. Revenue better than expected. This company is operating in such a way right now that I think makes it easy for people to forget that it wasn't all that long ago that one division or another was mm-hmm. struggling. Yeah. That that a quarterly report from the Walt Disney Company was this was good. But and then the but would be followed by but theme parks are struggling. But or and, our movie about Indiana Jones on Mars didn't pan right, out. Didn't pan, or John Carter. Uh, they are, as Ron Gross would say, they are firing on all cylinders right now. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny because we think of Disney as a super stable business, and that's true in like a three, five, ten year sense. But yeah, the results themselves in the individual units are, are very bouncy. Especially because of box office, so you know they invest. What was that little noise? <laughs> I I don't know. Um, I do these weird sound effects. Um, yeah, the box office gate can be so volatile. You know, John Carter being the classic Ishtar-like example, where they poured a ton of money into it, huge flop, and of course analysts were very bearish at the time. But reality is, they keep churning out a lot of films. Probabilistically, they're going to get some big winners when they do. They can monetize dies monetize those for years and years and years and years and years. Uh, you know, Cinderella was carried on the balance sheet at zero. It's been all the way marked down, so there's nothing literally on the balance sheet for Disney at Cinderella, but it's incredibly valuable and just shows that the durability of the kind of assets they have. Well, that was one of the things in going through the quarter. I was looking at the Consumer Products Division. The first thing being called, on the, <laughs> called out on that uh, is Frozen. The hit animated movie, which people are still buying, God knows how many products associated with that film, um, and will for a long time, and will for a very long time. The theme parks, which make up such a huge chunk of the revenue for the Walt Disney Company, and by the way, I, I, I don't recall them really whining about the weather in the way that that, that other no. that other companies do. And Go figure. Y- and you can say, well, wait a minute, they're not dealing with horrible winter weather in Florida or California, but people still have to get to those places for weather. So, nothing about the weather. I think if if there's anything, and I, I, I hesitate to use the word concern because I'm a shareholder and this is not a concern to me, but I did notice when you look at the media division. And the impact of the rising cost of sports programming, yeah. where media division was less profitable than the others, it was mm-hmm. it was almost flat. But but 
that's something, to, I guess, to keep an eye on, where the cost of World Cup programming being what it is, the fact that the NBA Finals, it's a shorter series than the Disney company would have, you know, if you're... Yeah. If, if you're I was talking with a couple of guys earlier in the week about this. As we get closer to the end of the baseball season, one of the things I always like to do is look at who are the teams that are likely to make the playoffs. And I like to think not just in terms of, well, what are the what would be an entertaining matchup to watch in the World Series, but also, in this case, I believe it's the Fox Network has the world the rights to the World Series. If you're the Fox Network, what are you rooting for? And what are you hoping does not happen. Fortunately, for you're, the Fo- you're hoping for not the Subway Series, right? Well, you're hoping. Let's face it. You're hoping for New York Yankees against Los Angeles Dodgers every yeah. year. You're you're just hoping for the biggest media markets, and fortunately for them, they have a lot of big media market teams that are in the mix for the playoffs. That said, Baltimore against Milwaukee is a possibility in the World Series, yeah. and if that's the case, you're you're hoping that that yeah. does not happen. Well, the rising content costs. I mean, this is the whole. Yeah, we'll talk more about this, but Disney has somewhat of a built-in like hedge with they do own a lot of content. They have a vast treasure trove of content, but it's not sports to your point. And I do think that ESPN, which has long been it's funny, the time by the time everyone realized that ESPN was the most valuable part of Disney, I think it's now kind of over the hill in terms of its uh glory days and the golden age. Uh they're going <clears> to <throat> continue to have to pay more for sports. Sports highlights keep popping up online. ESPN.com, huge. And they can monetize that to some extent, but most of the content's free. Insider isn't all that expensive, certainly compared to the, the cash cow that the actual programming is. You can follow us on Twitter at MarketFoolery is our handle. You can follow Joe Maker on Twitter, too. Uh, one of the people I follow is David Faber from CNBC, so i got to give him credit for something he Great tw- reporter. Great reporter. Um, did you watch the Amazon documentary that he did? I haven't, but I watched the interview he did with John Malone a while ago. Solid gold. Yeah. Yeah, David yeah. Faber. Speaking is, of media, he is he is top shelf. Uh, something he tweeted last night. You've heard of Merger Monday today, a Titanic Tuesday. Big deals going down. Uh, referring, of course, to Sprint and T-Mobile and their proposed deal, which is now no longer. But even bigger than that, certainly in terms of media attention, 21st Century Fox walking away from the Time Warner acquisition. And I told you earlier today. I'm heartened by this because we've seen in many ways. Well, the main way I am I am heartened by this as an investor is it's Rupert Murdoch saying, "No, I'm not going to pay any price." Mm-hmm. I'm not, and we've seen examples over the last certainly the last twelve months or so of little pockets of insanity. Sometimes it's in the yeah. IPO market. And sometimes it's in the merger market where you're saying, "Wait a minute, what? you're you're paying how much for that company?" So the fact that Rupert Murdoch and 21st Century Fox are saying, "Look, we like Time Warner, we want to buy it, but we don't want to buy it at some insane price. We there's a limit to what we're willing to pay for it." Yeah, I agree. I think Murdoch, he's looking out for number one. Obviously, I know a lot of people out there have said, "Well, he's responding to the response to news of share price." which really stumbled upon the announcement of the offer. Everyone just assumed he would throw infinite amount of money and make the deal happen. So he walked away. I think this is just really smart poker on his part. He's playing a long game. I mean, a long game for a really old guy. I was going to say, I mean, 
He's playing a long game, but and he seems like he's in good health, but he's not a young man. Yeah, well, I think it's really smart because he doesn't need to rush into this. News, uh, or sorry, I say news. They, they recently split up, sorry. Now, sorry. I, believe me, I got confused by that as well. When I was doing the ticker search and, and researching, I, I had to remind myself, oh, right, news, you know, news Corp is actually a separate entity now. Right, right. So this is the good part, <laughs> the 21st Century Fox. Uh, 20th Century Fox. And the much bigger part. This yes. is the $71 billion company versus the $10 billion company. Yeah, yeah, with with great assets. And these two companies, uh, being this in Time Warner, both have tremendous assets. I do think it makes a lot of sense to put them together. I think it's more important to not overpay. And frankly, they were either going to have to take on too much debt to make it happen or issue equity at pretty unfavorable prices. I think the strategy of, of walking away and then instituting the big share buyback that's brilliant. So it it emphasizes to people that the shares are undervalued. Mm-hmm. But with the share buyback, people assume that you go out and make those purchases right away. No. I mean, it might take years before they actually go out and buy all those. I wonder to what extent, if any, the memory, the not-too-distant memory of the AOL Time Warner merger yeah. from 2000. That was 2000 or 2001? No, 2000. Two, 2000. I wonder to what extent, if any, that played a factor in all of this. Because, again, not too long ago, you could look at, here's a media merger, totally celebrated at the time, in part because you had AOL the, being the acquiring company. Mm-hmm. The, it's sort of the rise of the internet. The internet has all grown up now, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And that did not work out. No, no. <laughs> not even remotely. What's funny is that on a high level, I think the deal makes more sense to me now, even though we all look back and it was a debacle. Now, wait a minute. The, the AOL Time Warner deal? Yes. And I think the integration of having the pipes with the content makes tremendous sense. And, you know, John Malone did work that magic at TCI for a long time. He's doing it with Liberty Global and over in Europe. And everyone appreciates that, that synergy. That, the real problem there was just that AOL was already um, crippled, essentially, and wasn't going to deliver on its promise. The other thing, I, I was reminded of this last week. Um, was out in San Francisco for the Full One member event. I was talking with uh, Adam Rogers, who's a senior editor at Wired Magazine. We're going to have him on the radio show next week. Uh, he's got a great new book out. But one of the things we were talking about was the fact that in the 90s, Wired Magazine and Wired.com were owned by completely different companies. <laughs> that Condé Nast came in, bought Wired Magazine, and either through their own ignorance or the, I think a combination of their own ignorance about what the internet could hold, uh, combined with the internet being relatively young, they just said, "Yeah, we want, we just want the magazine. We don't want the website." And it so, is hilarious. And so they started, all publications for that to happen, and they and they just sort of yeah. Ironically, it's Wired magazine where they have the sep- the completely separate business, and as a result, they had two very different cultures, two very different experiences, uh, journalistic approaches, et cetera, et cetera. Well, people people forget this, but Walmart spun off their e-commerce unit back during the the dot com oh, right. peak. Yeah. Terrible idea, which they realized, and they brought it back. I'm, but they really, really wish they hadn't done that. 
You can always email us. Radio at fool.com is our email address. I'm referring to uh, a conversation we had earlier in the week. Email from Jonathan Cunningham. When I went to Australia, I was told that Foster's was their worst was the worst beer they made, so they decided to export it to the stupid Americans who will buy anything. You know that may be true. That's that, a little harsh. That is a little harsh, and the, you know the, Aussies like Americans. I feel like there's a, a decent affinity there. I, yeah. I, but when I got that email, one of the things I thought was, yeah, but once upon a time, we exported the TV show Baywatch to the entire planet. And You're welcome, world. That, that, that's not the best television we can export. Oh, well. Well, in one Moving s- on. It, <laughs> well, I mean, Breaking Bad, are we, are, we, are we translating Breaking Bad? Are we putting subtitles on that and sending that around the world? I mean, You know, there's a, there's a Spanish language, Breaking Bad. So it's a completely di- Are they taking the episodes and just casting new actors, that sort of thing? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, pretty cool, huh? That is Makes cool. me wish that I spoke Spanish. You know, you can just watch the regular Breaking Bad. You know, if you watch the British House of Cards, I think you might have told me to watch that. Yeah. Oh, it's I, so good. I have not watched it yet, but I was. Uh, I've I've watched the U.S. version of House of Cards, and one of the bonus features I saw was uh, included all these clips from the original British series, mm-hmm. and it looks fantastic. And it's it's only as we talked about, it's only four episodes. It's four one-hour episodes. Yeah, yeah. Now speaking of, I mean, kind of getting back to the uh, the Rupert Murdoch love triangle. I think a lot of the appeal to him is picking up HBO. Uh, everyone knows it's a great asset. Oh, yeah. But HBO, beyond Netflix, there really aren't many over-the-top offerings that people are fired up for. And HBO Go is one of them. And, and you know, I'm sure this has been discussed many times on the show. I know we've talked about this in the past. HBO is very delicately trying to get all the money they can from the cable networks, which is a lot right now, and that's still the cash cow. But they are going direct to the consumer over time um they got a lot they got a lot of great content and from rupert's perspective imagine if he can take a lot of the content that they have Mm -hmm. over at fox connect it with hbo go and that library that they've already got that's really compelling i mean if you could get hbo go that had all the content libraries of those two companies wow well and that was one of the i think one of the numbers i saw that was thrown out specific to hbo was I want to say twenty billion. So the, that w- when this proposed deal um, made the headlines a week or two back, someone threw out the number twenty. If you're just looking at HBO, that's worth twenty billion. And I remember seeing that and thinking, "Well, I bet Rupert would pay twenty billion for that." They, yeah, um, if he could just buy that slice, he's not gonna he's not gonna pay you know a hundred you know billion or wh- whatever crazy number Time Warner was allegedly looking for. But mm-hmm. if he can just have. HBO for $20 billion, he'd do that. Um, what's one thing in the Australian markets that you're going to be watching over the rest of 2014? Because um, I say this is Joe Mager week. Actually, it's Joe Mager Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, because you're, yeah. you're getting on a plane. You're heading out. Um, but I'm just curious. Is there is there one thing in particular that you're going to be watching? I think in the U.S. markets, one thing that people are watching is the Alibaba IPO and mm-hmm. any potential ripple effects that has. Uh, but I'm just curious, if, whether it's a company or an industry, what's one thing you're going to be watching down under? Mm. Well, mining is the big driving force of the economy and has been for a long time. So I watch a lot of different numbers around that. I look at coal prices. I look at iron ore prices. One thing that I'm watching 
really closely, something not a lot of people follow, is a report put out every six months by the government on the number of projects in the pipeline for natural resources at different phases of commitment. That number is a forward-looking number, and it's been falling precipitously. I think the next mark will look even worse. And, you know, the reason I'm particularly interested, a lot of people say in Australia, well, you know, we're shifting from development and into production with resources. And that's true. That's true. But a mine uses about two and a half times as many employees to build it as it does to operate it. So there are a lot of, you know, six-figure jobs for that construction that are just going to disappear. Yikes. Have a safe trip, my friend. Thank you. Always good to have you here. As always, people on the program may have interests in the stocks they talk about. And wonderful may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Fuller. The show is mixed by Carl Simon. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.